This is Valor Radio. Valor, strength of mind and spirit that enables a person to face danger with resolve and determination in battle or in any other situation. Valor, like that displayed by veterans of every branch of the military throughout our community. This radio show, Valor Radio, salutes all of you who have raised your right hands to volunteer to protect and preserve our unique American way of life. Thanks for joining us and your brothers and sisters in uniform. When liberty's in jeopardy, I will always do what's right. I'm out here on the front line, sleeping peace tonight, American soldier. Now, Valor Radio. Well, soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, coasties, guardians, and the civilians uh, serving alongside, we find ourselves once again gathered in the big tent of Valor Radio. And here's Colonel Paul Simonelli back with us this week. Thanks, Robert. Uh, we just uh, celebrated an anniversary on April 16th. It was the 36th anniversary of the United States Army Special Operations Command. Um, I can remember my junior year in college, uh, spring of my junior year, April 1980, um, was a defining moment for the American people in special operations. At 7 in the morning, uh, I remember a somber president announced to our nation that the world, uh, the tragic news of what happened on Desert One. Uh, President Jimmy Carter revealed a secret hostage rescue mission had failed. Eight American servicemen were dead, and several others were seriously injured. Um, that crushing failure at Desert One and its consequences told everyone, despite the enormous talent we had individually, we hadn't put it together right. Something had to be done. And a decision was made at that point um, that, uh, well, that, that they knew something had to be done, and they couldn't quite figure out what what had to be done to do this. The the tragic events followed by problems. You know, there were things that happened in Grenada. Um, I mean, we accomplished a mission there, um, but that really solidified need for the president to create a unified uh, combatant command for special operations uh, with control over its resources. So, U.S. Special Operations Command was formed. April 16th, 1987, uh, with the responsibility to organize and train and equip U.S. Special Operations Forces in the Army, Navy, and Air Force. And um, good, uh, I know people ask why not the Marine Corps included in that. We can talk about that in a second. Um, SOF warriors, Special Operation Force warriors, were deployed more than 90 countries, speak more than 100 languages, spend 365 days each year really contributing to the fight. Uh, on the war on terrorism. They truly are the tip of the spear. Um, and um, right now that uh, once-fledgling uh, organization that uh, suffered such defeat in Desert One, um, made up of all different organizations around the Department of Defense, now includes more than 70,000 people who... Um, contribute to national security and really are revered, I think, by the American public. You know, they hold a special place. So um, that I still, I still remember, you know, driving to school, listening to that radio broadcast on WHAM, 
of the president talking about this and just you know, it was an awful uh, experience when that happened. It was, it was, and it probably um, more than anything else probably solidified the end of uh, you know the end of Jimmy Carter. Um, I think people defer towards someone who's in office typically. Um, I think. You know, when a person's running for re-election. He was rallying around the, the president in right. times of crisis. But, right. But he clearly was out of his um, out of his uh, league or whatever you want, over his skis on this thing. Yeah. Just, now, did you ever hear about the briefings that um, Charlie Beckwith gave to the uh, the, the big shots in, in D.C. about the mission? He uh, Warren Christopher was the uh, secretary of state at the right, time. Right, right. And uh, they talked about, you know, what would happen if um, they he met resistance. What what he was going to do if, with, with with people if they didn't cooperate? And he said, "I'm going to put a bullet right between their eyes." And Christopher looked at him like he was some kind of lunatic. You're thinking, you know, what do you think I'm going to do? By the way, the voice you're hearing is uh, that of Captain Steve Romano, uh, retired, r- retired. Uh, yeah. Uh, hey, folks, you can just take that for granted. Steve and I are old guys. Yeah. We are retired from the military. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably probably better that way. <laughs> probably so. get a chance to properly introduce him this I'm morning. Sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, not at all. Not at all. Sure We're informal knows. here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sorry, Steve. Yeah, um, it was a, it was an awful time. I remember um, I was at St. John Fisher, and uh, I remember how awful I felt for the the guys who were in the service watching. And, and the worst part about it was the day afterward, he had these images on TV of these Iranians sticking bayonets in plastic bags with body parts in them. And I remember nothing infuriated me more than watching these guys desecrate American bodies that that died in in combat. It was just horrible. It's a bad time for America. 43 years later. Hard to believe. You know, interestingly, um, uh, a woman that worked for me, her son is right now over in Turkey. And he's been messaging back and forth with me. In, uh, army or no, Air Force? No, he's not in the military right now. Oh. He was in the Army. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but uh, had been, used to be good duty. Yeah, was visiting. Yeah, it was great duty. Yeah, yeah. Um, was visiting Israel and decided to take a little side trip to Turkey, mm. but ran into some Iranian folks. Now, this is 43 years later, mm-hmm. and um, particularly he was telling me his conversation with a woman dentist from Iran that's mm-hmm. doing her best to try to get out of Iran, permanently Mm. get status either in Great Britain or someplace. Mm -hmm. And um, just, just, he was just describing how she had been describing just how horrible it is um, for the folks in Iran. And I'm hoping when he gets back, I'll have a long conversation with him, maybe a little more detail. Particularly for a professional woman, I would think. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so. um, Has to be bad. Yeah. So, uh, but. It's 43 years later, and really the situation has not gotten any better there for the people mm-hmm. of Iran. I, I don't know what the right situation is. I'm not going to say that they need you know an American type, uh, mm-hmm. you know, re, you know, democracy or what, you know whatever. Um, but I, it's not right for the people. The people there have suffered. Um, I know well, under the Shah. I mean, Iran was a was a very progressive Western. Yes, it was uh, leaning. Uh, it's not a backward corrupt. country uh, and corrupt. Uh, corrupt, yeah. yeah. But I mean, uh, uh, let's all look in the mirror here. Right, uh, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Uh, but but I mean, it was it was it was not the hellhole that it was to become. And um, it's not Iraq. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely yeah. not. No, but you know, when you look at pictures from the seventies of you know Iran. Um, 
even Afghanistan pictures from the seventies. Oh yeah, um, it looks uh, like Taliban. Oh jeez, yeah, uh, it's just uh, you know you, you see people just living what we consider to be normal lives. What you know, doing, going to school, mm-hmm. working. And you're right, um, mm-hmm. uh, Iran was out there. I mean, really, they were doing. They were sort of leading the way in the Middle East. Lebanon used to be called the Riviera of the Mediterranean. It was oh, absolutely Be- Beirut was gorgeous. Uh, just absolutely, yeah. Beirut was like one of the most wonderful places in the world to travel to. Wait, was there any place worse than Beirut in the eighties? Oh. I mean, the, the way that place was just a a hellhole of terrorist, uh, you know, intrigue. And remember, every, every place you drove in the in the city of Beirut had uh, you know checkpoints and. Green zones and mm-hmm. it was just a horrible, horrible so, situation. Is New York City headed that way? <laughs> pretty close, pretty close. So um, without the checkpoints, yeah. So anyway, this is. Uh, but the birth of our special operations command that are really unmatched anywhere in the world. You know, it's not a zero. It's not a zero. Defect. Do you remember who like led it for at first? Charlie Beckwith. Charlie, I was going to say. Yeah. Could you get a better guy to do it? No. Than, no. Charlie's no. Charlie's war. Yeah. Um, Charlie Wilson's War. Oh, oh that's right. Uh, ne- never mind. Strike that last comment. Which is a great book. Again, I that know the movie. Book, yeah. The movie was fun, but the book is like over the top. That's another one of those yeah. great, great books. If you ever, if you're looking for something to read, yeah. um, Charlie Wilson's War, uh, just absolutely spectacular. I don't know book. anybody in special operations who has a better reputation than Charlie Beckwith. Yeah, well, you know, the ones that you don't hear about within the community, there's a few probably, but uh, Nick but, Rowe. Nick Rowe, that's right. Yeah, Nick Rowe. I, I got a Nick Rowe story when we come do back. You? Do you know about Nick Rowe? I do know about All right. Nick Rowe, yeah. We're here in uh, music here. We'll take a break. We'll come back and we're going to talk about Colonel Nick Rowe, who rewrote the book on survival, escape, and evasion. We'll be right back with more of Valor Radio. Street, and I walk mine. And should we meet? Would you spare me some time? Cause you should see my world, meet my kind, before you judge all my Your go-to for standard of specialized business insurance coverage, MGM Associates of Rochester, now serving the region and beyond in New York. Since 1984, MGM has provided leading coverage from a wide range of carriers, not only home, condo, boat, motorcycle, and auto, but also specialized policies for all types of businesses, including nonprofits and law firms, livery insurance, property insurance, and bonds for all needs. MGM Associates of Rochester provides auto, workers' comp, health care, and liability coverage. Choose from virtual appointments or good old in-office, in-person consults by appointment at our Penfield office. Five-time consecutive winner of the National Best Practices Award. MGM is proud to support veterans groups. For your personal business, home, or professional insurance needs, meet the experienced staff at MGM Associates. Locally and proudly owned at 1745 Penfield Road in Penfield, 381-7008 or mgminsure.com. An associate of Ontario Insurance Company, 28 Canandaigua Street in Shortsville. What a crazy couple of years we've had. Everybody's fighting. Inflation is causing all kinds of havoc. We have people on television and on radio telling us how much we should hate other people because they think differently than you do. We all need to sit back for a moment and just take a breath. Remember what we like about others, not what makes us mad about them. Most times I feel like we all want what's best for our families in America, but we just have different ways of going about it. 
My mother had a way of just taking a simple pleasure, like taking a bite from her favorite sandwich and saying, ah, this is good. For me, the Orioles may have a winning season. This is good. Oh, if you feel you want to talk about your current investment planning, estate planning, or life insurance, we're right in Penfield at AM Ginsburg Advisory Group, 585-377-4720. I feel better already. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc., AM Ginsburg Advisory Group, and Securities America companies are separate entities. Join Abate Monroe County, American bikers aimed toward education and help adult bikers ride free and safe. Check out our meetings on the third Friday monthly at Wise Guys Diner and Catering, 2811 Dewey Avenue. Join Abate for less than 50 cents a week. Google Abate Monroe County on the web. Hey, how about becoming a member of the National Warplane Museum in Geneseo, New York? Help us preserve history. Plus, you get some pretty fancy benefits. Visit us online, nationalwarplanemuseum.com. From Niagara Falls to the Adirondacks and from Canada to Pennsylvania, you're listening to Valor Radio. Back in here with the Colonel and the Captain on the WYSL stations. Thanks, Robert. And right before break, we realized uh, Steve and I had a uh, another common experience from different uh, corners of the world. Uh, uh, I was at um, uh, JFK Special Warfare School at um, Fort Bragg. The day that Colonel Nick Rowe was killed in the Philippines. Do you remember the date or what, what time? Time was it like a spring of '88? Wasn't it? Was it fall or spring? I'm fall not sure. of maybe fall. Fall I, October. I, I think it was October it, of '88. Were you there? Well be, yeah. yeah. And I had just gotten uh, off of sea duty and I was posted to uh, Naval Investigative Service in Washington D.C. in the Navy. In the uh, actually at the time it was at Suitland, Maryland, right. and uh, I remember. Um, when I heard about it, we were we, I was a with an outfit called ATAC Anti Terrorism Alert Center. There you go. And uh, <laughs> he had just been assassinated. Right. And you know, for those of you that don't know who Nick Rowe is, uh, tell you to get on Amazon and find a book called Five Years to Freedom. Nick uh, Colonel Nick Rowe was the uh, was a prisoner of war in Vietnam for over five years. Um, suffered. Tremendously. I, it, in fact, it was difficult. I remember reading the book and how difficult it was even to read the book. I mean, he was able to articulate, you know, make you feel painful sitting there reading the book about the, you know, the sheer agony that he survived. But once again, um, when he got out, he came back, um, went to, uh, you know, the fairly young at the time, uh, uh, JFK Special Warfare School and rewrote the book on survival, escape, resistance, and evasion, SEER. Um, you know, we always have these images in the movies of uh, uh, prisoners of war and um, or people that are captured and being uh, – and, and what they're trying to do. And we learned a lot of lessons in Vietnam, and he was able to encapsulate those and completely rewrite the book that every service ended up adopting. Um, you know, each service does it a little bit differently based on, on their needs, but uh, – uh, he he rewrote the curriculum and and you know tried to make it realistic for those that had to be trained that could be put in those situations like pilots and other folks and the other services and special operators but just did a a really spectacular job in doing that and became you know he was iconic in 
um, in the Army community. And like you said, uh, you know, it had the effect. I know that the day that he got killed in the Philippines, uh, JFK Special Warfare School just shut down. I mean, just everything stopped. I I can't remember another time where anything happening like that just just really hit everybody head on. We had a series of uh, attaches get um, m- murdered uh, overseas, one in Greece, uh, one in Paris, I think, at the time. And uh, when Roe got um, got killed in the Philippines, it, it sent shockwaves through the community. It, it was uh, especially uh, we had a lot of, a lot of uh, Navy assets in the Philippines at the time, obviously. But uh, it, was a, it was a fearful uh, moment for, for everybody when he died that way. Yeah. So, um, tell, so tell them a little bit about how they got him. He, 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 so, uh, from what I understand, he was in a he was in a up armored Mercedes. Um, he was always had threats to his life. Um, just uh, you know, he was a target, and mm-hmm. uh, I understand that uh, the vehicle got sprayed with AK forty seven rounds, which the up armor should have t- taken care of, but. If I remember correctly, it seemed like there was like a seam between a door and a window or something that it's just one of those freak things that one bullet got through and penetrated that spot and it takes uh, one, um, one, yeah. just happened to. So, and once again, I'm, I'm doing this from memories a long time ago, but I, it's what I seem to remember hearing back when I was down at Fort Bragg about that. Um, so. So, got him in his vehicle. Yeah, yeah. Um, Steve, I got to ask you about this because you worked in intelligence. I, you know, 30 years, probably 20 years of my career, I had a top secret of my 30 years, had a top secret clearance. Many of those years with, you know, SCI right. or, or, other, or other classifications mm-hmm. uh, above that. Um, and I, I don't remember, and I... You know, being on separate computers all those times, I don't remember being able to access CIA information or DIA information. Yeah, or, unless 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 they wanted the military to have it. Well, I was listening to some guy on, on TV last night talking about um, how it's impossible for this guy to get a hold of CIA information. I'm like, no, it's not. I'll tell you why. When I worked at at uh, headquarters NIS Naval. Naval Criminal Investigative Service later, um, I had access to all kinds of CIA stuff. In fact, it didn't mean I could use it. It meant that I had access to it. I could read it. I could process it. But unfortunately, back then, and it's probably still the same way right now, the CIA has this thing called Originator Control, ORCON. And they would put ORCON controls on all their stuff which meant that you had to get them to agree to let you release it, and they never let you release it. So you did see a Lots. lot of stuff. Yeah. I don't remember seeing an Tons awful lot all yeah. those years looking on, on different things on Sipper. I, I, I remember a few, you know, a few but they were so watered down. Right. Um, they, are, they, are, they are. There's A lot of them have just a little gist in them, but it's still TSSCI. I mean, you're going to like right. – because, you know, it is, it's all sources and methods, and what happens is um, – if if they uh, if we put something out in one of our uh, f- force protection products or or um, you know our threat assessments or something, we we had to get their permission and they wouldn't give it. I mean, nine times out of ten, they would never give you uh, access to their material or or, or uh, right to to to, to uh, uh, disseminate their material. So you just got used to the fact that you're just not going to be able to put CIA material out. 
Right. And it's unfortunate because a lot of times it was the only stuff that we had that indicated there was going to be an attack. So we'd, we'd have to just be mealy-mouthed about it and say, you know, our sources indicate that this person's uh, under threat or whatever. And we that's what we'd have to go with. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, um, uh, everybody in that organization who was reading that traffic had uh, had the ability to see that stuff. So, like, this kid or this dork or whatever, this, kid, this 21-year-old loser um you know he unfortunately was given the keys to the kingdom and i don't understand why they do that but they do well that's the other thing i i don't understand I, it maybe the air force is different maybe the navy is different i don't remember a lot of e4s having really see i i don't even remember a lot of i don't remember a lot of enlisted uh you know uh e3s or e4s having access to that stuff that's but, what i'm saying but if you're a watch partner to one of the watch officers you had to have it because you were you were basically their their yeoman during that during that shift so yeah they they had access to it too unfortunately this guy um you know was trying to impress his friends or whatever and um, he got to see that stuff. And there's, it's really unfortunate because there's nothing more sensitive than diplomatic cables or CIA documents that, that uh, you know, involve, um, you know, um, strategic, uh, you know, topics. It, it's just very, you know, dicey stuff if you get it compromised. So and, you don't think, all right, so of course all the conspiracy theorists are going nuts here saying that the kid was set up. Um, yeah, I don't believe that. No, I, they said just the, the 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 combination of stuff that got released that it just seems incomprehensible that a you know a twenty twenty one year old kid could pull all these pieces together. And, I don't really know enough about what was released. Yeah. What, we we still don't really know what 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 all he, he had access to, and I just but, think it's pretty sad that a a twenty one year old can command that sort of um, material. Uh, just be able to. I, it, it's 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 hard to fathom that that that, that kind of access is given to twenty uh, nineteen. He was nineteen at the time when he got it. So uh-huh. something wrong with the system when you get a nineteen year old kid. I w- I wouldn't have been uh, you know uh, reliable. Well, I probably would have been pretty pretty good about it, but not. No, a nineteen year old kid is really uh, equipped to handle. Well, that's top what I'm saying. SCI I, material. Yeah, I, it's it's I inconceivable. Think. I mean, to get to get it's crazy. You know, first to go through the top secret. Is I guess it's easy when you're 19 because you got no life history at right. that point. So right. there's no reason not but Bob, to. Bob, the, the paperwork you have to fill out for security clearance is unbelievably SF87. Remember, is that what the form was? An SF87, and it's this form that goes on forever and ever. Is it worse than a pistol permit application? Yes, yes. It makes a pistol you, permit look like. Did you have uh, to get read in for certain compartments? Yes, yes. Yeah, when you got read in for a certain compartment, so, means basically uh, there, there, there's everything has a little code name. Like if, if it has to do with. Uh, you know, missiles in the Bekaa Valley, there might be a particular word that goes with it. And in order to get access to it, you have to be read into it. You have to sit in a little room and you have to read a disclosure form and it basically threatens you and tells you, if you ever even think about releasing this information, we're going to send you to Leavenworth. And then you get browbeaten and then you sign it and you walk out and you're like, okay, now I have access to it. reading in means? It's reading, it's reading in, in, yeah. And then the other part of that is, so folks, and then just they read so you out. Right. I was going to get to that in a second. 
different. But so just so people understand, basic security clearance that everybody serving in the military above the rank of E4 has to have is a secret clearance. And it's not right. too involved. It's like doing a pretty good background National check, like for a pistol, check, yeah. right? Like a pistol permit right. type background check. Wants and warrants, that kind of thing. Right. Top secret takes it to another level. Yeah. And at that point, you're writing down every place you ever spent more yeah. than a week. Or so, I mean, they want to know every they place know you've ever yeah. been, every contact you've had with foreign people. Right. And it's pretty involved. It could take a regular, like someone in their 20s or 30s, it probably would take about maybe eight hours to fill this thing mm-hmm. out, especially mm-hmm. if you've been in the military and traveling a lot and right. doing a lot of different things. Long form, and it just keeps going and going and going. Then you go through an interview process. Um, and it was so it was so stringent that at the time that I remember I would go to a different town like and I have to get a new like a new barber and a lot of the barbers you went to were like um, Eastern Europeans like Russians or something and I remember having a report to my security officer yeah I had this Russian guy cut my hair the other day I mean I had to report that because and I thought I'm obligated to do this so I'm going to do it. So we'll talk a little bit more about security clearances uh, when we come back uh, on Valor Radio. The WYSL stations, 92.1 FM, 95.5 FM West, AM 1040. I smile a little in the silence, deciding listening to Valor Radio with Colonel Paul Simonelli. We're back in here with the Colonel and the Captain. Thanks for joining us on Valor Radio on WYSL. Carol King, right? Uh, Carol King. Written by Carol King. Um, And she recorded it, too, at some point. Everybody recorded this. Yeah, yeah, great great song. song. (laughs) (laughs) So we were talking about security clearances and you know, once you get your top secret and then top secret SCI, which is sensitive compartmentalized information, right, Steve? That compartmented. Compartmented information. Yeah. And if you're going to look at anything that has to do with that, you have to go in a skiff. Sensitive compartmented information facility. Yeah. Right. You have to go in a skiff. You get read in. You talked about that. They put a binder in front of you. They scare the living crap out of oh, you. Yeah. They threaten um, you with every legal... Uh, you know, option that they have at their disposal, and then they say, "Okay, go ahead, sign." Yeah, sign, sign the small print, seventeen-page document that pretty much and says you're giving up. You know, they're they're going to take bodily organs right. from you if you do and, something and wrong. They, they reserve the right to polygraph you at, at any given point in time. Yeah, just to make sure of quality control uh, exists. You know? So once you jump through those hoops. They hand you whatever material it is, and you read it. And most of the time, it was pretty anticlimactic, right? Yeah. I, I have to say, maybe I, you know, I just wasn't at the right place, the right. But I don't remember ever reading anything that really knocked my socks off or yeah. anything. No. Um, but the the harder issue is getting read out, and then. Um, God forbid you're trying to write or publish something. Oh yeah, forget um, that. Yeah. I had for the war college. You have to do a thesis. I had my first couple of times. I don't know if it was three or four topics I was told I couldn't write about. Even though I had sourced everything through open source. Kind of like being in college today. Um, 
Yeah, I used to hate when they'd say, well, yes, it's an open source material, but it's really classified. Okay. But um, so I had to change topics, and I was really getting, you know, I was like on double secret probation because I was deployed <laughs> during much of the, you know, the um, uh, distance education war college because I was mobilized at the time. So mm-hmm. uh, trying to get that done and being deployed and everything else, and it just, I, well, I want to write about this. I want to write, no, you can't do that. No, you, so finally, hit on a topic that I could, you know, write about. And right. um, uh, it wasn't what I wanted to write about. You know, I was knee-deep in Afghanistan at the time, and um, I thought I had something relevant to write. But uh, all those topics were pretty much off. Who would you have to wash it through? Well, through my headquarters uh-huh. that I was working for, and that was at Joint Forces Command at the time. So, um, Yeah, I had. I was going to – I remember having a, wanting a brief – uh, some civilians on stuff that happened in Libya a couple years earlier, and I think I had to go through like the the PAO for like Lant Fleet or something, uh-huh. and it was painful. And well, all that stuff had already come out in the public domain, and I thought, "What are you giving me such a hard time about this stuff for? No one, no one really cares anymore." You, you know, know? I, I had a paper published along with a member from the State Department and from USAID oh, yeah, while yeah. I was oh, on geez. active duty yeah. and. Someone wanted to interview. I don't know if it was the Hill or yeah, one of these other, yeah. and that was that was an ordeal because had a PAO person sitting right next to oh, me, yeah, you know, and um, waiting for her to give me the high sign to stop. Yeah. You know, I can't say that. I can say this, and you know, I stayed within the four corners of the paper. I was, yeah. but it, it was just a very unnatural process. And then leaving active duty and getting read out of anything that you were read into, right. and a whole nother set of papers. And then, you know, for so many years, you can't. You know, do this. You can't do that. I, I I don't remember the specifics, but getting read out was almost was worse than getting read in. And that's why I have no patience with 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 all the uh, disclosures that we're finding out about with politicians and stuff. Because we had such, uh, you know, we had such control uh, controls put on us and how what we could do and how we could do it. And then they have these other people today, just you know, blithely like on a lark. They just you know. Speak, speak it publicly, or some senator or some staffer will disclose stuff, and I'm thinking, but they don't they don't take their their uh, you know their oath seriously. No, no, they I, just don't. Yeah, one of these days we'll talk about. It. I had to do a Article 32 investigation, uh, a briefing, a POTUS briefing that my headquarters prepared. My boss briefed the president on. Um, really made it into the New York Times. Ooh. The actual slides. Made Ooh, it into the New York bad. Times. Well, that was the question, and Ooh. I got dragged in, and I, I had to do the uh, yeah. investigation on that. And that was a pretty messy thing. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Anyway, let's get back to some hard, hardcore military stuff here just for a few minutes. Um, you know, we're, we're all – we've talked about A-10s, and we love A-10s. And, you know, the aircraft, it's mm-hmm. a 50-year-old frame, airframe, but there's – nobody on the ground is happier – um, mm-hmm. When they call for close air support and an A-10 shows up. Yeah. When was the last time that was produced? Uh, well, they, they've they redone them, like put new wings on them. They've, you know, upgraded some but of I the mean, electronics. But I mean, you know, new, new aircraft. I mean, uh, when did they stop producing them? <sighs> Boy, oh boy. Probably I, around uh, probably around 1990, 91. Yeah, I would say and, probably. And they came into the not, inventory right around 1980, 79, 80, I think. Yeah, it's 50 70, years that the aircraft's yeah, been around. Yeah. Um, you know, the people that fly and the people that have depended on them just <clears throat> love them to death. The Air Force has been trying for years to kill them. They've had, you know, support 
in the Senate and in Congress and have knocked it down, but they got them to agree in the last budget to knock a bunch of them out. But here's the other thing that's happening. This is the human factor here. You know, when you get air support, you call an air support at, at battalion level, um, which is a pretty low level. Uh, you have uh, folks that do from the Air Force doing tactical air control which means they're the ones, they're the experts, absolute experts at calling in that close air support. They understand the characteristics of the airplane. They understand what it can and can't do. They can they, they observe what's happening on the ground, and they make a determination, and they guide those airplanes in to provide that close air support. Well, the Air Force, along with cutting A-10s, are cutting 50% of their tactical air control party jobs. Um that these guys are and gals are invaluable, absolutely invaluable to the folks on the ground. Those are the guys you don't want to cut out. Right. These are the guys that, you know, the Army is highly dependent on. And it used to be before they existed, field artillery folks used to have any type of indirect fire or close air support. The field artillery folks would do that. Mm-hmm. But it is such a specialized thing. There's so many different airframes with so many different capabilities. Um, you you yeah, really A six community had had the same thing with uh, forward air uh, forward air uh, guys they were, right they were out there like lazing targets and throwing right. things well, like look, that that's what the guy's doing right yeah, there you yeah. see him he's lazing the it, target it, it, yeah um, it's laser still designation and it's it's dangerous work I mean you're out there in the bush somewhere and you're lighting up a target and boy I'll tell you what without him we we'd have been screwed yeah so it is. Yeah. Um, you know, once again, the Air Force is going in a different direction. They're always looking up high. You know, they're looking, you know, they just... Yeah, they aim high. They do. Yeah. They really do. And, and that, that, you know, that's their motto. And that's also, you know, their perspective on this. And they've been for years trying to kill yeah. their air support role. Now, you go back to the end of World War II when the Air Force was formed. There were agreements made between the Army and the Air Force, and it was agreed that the Army could— because there's been talk about moving the A-10s to the Army. Oh, really? Well, it's not going to happen. That's too bad. It's not going to happen, but the Army would—you know, the Army has attack helicopters, but there was an agreement back when the Air Force was formed and split out from the Army that the Army would not have uh, combat-capable fixed-wing Aircraft. Mm. Um, So, you know, the whole thing. So no more uh, liaison planes or any of that stuff, huh? Well, they could do the liaisons and they could do for forward observers, that type of Uh thing, which they do a lot of with fixed wing. Uh Or they did, uh, not as much anymore. But... uh, but that agreement's held tough, and you know the Air Force enforces it. And but I, I'm once again, they're they're getting rid of these folks and these these TAC uh, CPs. Um, and I just uh, I I think I'm I'm trying to be forward thinking. I understand what the Air Force is trying to accomplish, but that's uh, you know there there's 3,700 people that do that for the Air Force right now. And they're going to reduce it down to 2,100. Um, and that's going to leave. That means mm. there's not going to be anybody at battalion level. The lowest level someone will be at will be a brigade level, mm. which is, you know, you're pretty far removed from the battle yeah. at that point. And the the get, you know, the 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 quality of the work they did had so much to do with being on the ground and seeing what was happening and being part of the battle yeah. in order to facilitate, uh, you know, successful close air support. All right, I'm hearing some music. We'll come back shortly with uh, more Valor Radio. The WYSL stations tell a friend about the program podcast available on all major platforms, WYSL1040.com. Oh, it's true. 
that very special way. Your go-to for standard of specialized business insurance coverage. MGM Associates of Rochester, now serving the region and beyond in New York. Since 1984, MGM has provided leading coverage from a wide range of carriers. Not only home, condo, boat, motorcycle, and auto, but also specialized policies for all types of businesses, including nonprofits and law firms, livery insurance, property insurance, and bonds for all needs. MGM Associates of Rochester provides auto, workers' comp, health care, and liability coverage. Choose from virtual appointments or good old in-office, in-person consults by appointment at our Penfield office. Five-time consecutive winner of the National Best Practices Award, MGM is proud to support veterans groups. For your personal business, home, or professional insurance needs, meet the experienced staff at MGM Associates. Locally and proudly owned at 1745 Penfield Road in Penfield, 381-7008 or mgminsure.com. An associate of Ontario Insurance Company, 28 Canandaigua Street in Shortsville. Hi, I'm Alan Ginsberg of the A.M. Ginsberg Advisory Group, LLC. I know a lot of you have heard enough of my ad regarding business continuation. We started this campaign in September 2020, and I want you to know the response has just been tremendous. The best part is that we're seeing the results of our efforts. Business owners who have been procrastinating on how to make sure their business continues on a successful path are starting to make the changes that are needed. Whether it be talking to their children, key employees, or favorite competitors, they are starting to get things done, making sure that their life's work doesn't just go by the wayside. Give us a call at 585-377-4720. We'll sit down and talk, find out what your business and family goals are. That's 585-377-4720. Thank you. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. AM Ginsburg Advisory Group and the Securities America companies are separate entities. As a veteran of the United States military, I can finally get the opportunity to enjoy special events, things that we couldn't afford, thanks to Ventix. Every empty seat at a concert, a game, or a play is a missed opportunity to say thanks to a veteran and service member. We can give our veterans a special event where they, too, can create their own cherished memories. Visit VetTix.org. Find out how you can make a difference in a veteran's life. You're listening to Fallow Radio with Colonel Paul Simonelli. I'm back real quick here because uh, the captain is such a fan of Carol King. Thought we'd just roll a few seconds of her first hit. What should I write? What can I say? How can I tell you how much I miss you? It might as well rain till September. Cool. She wrote that with her with her husband or Jerry Goffin. Yep. Wow. She sounds so young. 1962. Here's the hook. Just out of high school, probably. Yeah. Wow. I like yeah. that. Different song. Okay. She's oh, fantastic. Uh, back to you guys. So. uh... We hit on history a little bit today, talking about Desert One. Um, we're going to go back a little farther in history uh, yeah. with our our uh, yeah, yeah, resident well, historian. Well, we're going to try. Uh, you know, this month, April, is uh, 78, 78? Yeah, 78 years to, uh, uh, on from the uh, uh, invasion of Okinawa for the U.S. And uh, it was a bloody campaign, and uh, we lost 12,500 Americans. 
killed in action on Okinawa and wounded another 36,000. That's how bad it was. Japanese casualties are in excess of 100,000. We don't even know how many there were. But we lost in, in Rochester, in Monroe County, about 54 guys. So that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, it is. And I just wanted to mention a few of them this morning. And we're, Every week, if we have time, I'm going to mention a few more. But uh, uh, I have six today. I just wanted to go through fairly briefly here. Um, the first one is Master Sergeant Robert D. Bentley, U.S. Army Air Force, 22 years old. He's with uh, Headquarters Company, U.S. Air, uh, Air Force Pacific Ocean Area Command. Killed in action 6 April 45 on Okinawa <clears throat> and is buried in Punchbowl Cemetery, Honolulu. He was born in Persia in 1922, lived at Number 5 Arnold Park, Rochester. Enlisted in the Air Corps in January of 43, right here in Rochester. Uh, and when he died, he was only 22 years old and a Master Sergeant which is pretty amazing, and he was awarded the Purple Heart posthumously. Sergeant Joseph G. Berarda Curti was 25 years old, U.S. Army, infantryman, Company M, 307th Infantry Regiment, 77th Infantry Division, Statue of Liberty uh, uh, Unit. He was killed in action 16 uh, May 45 on Okinawa, buried at Holy Sepulchre Cemetery in Section 13 North. He lived at number 70 Coastar Street, Rochester, and was a member of St. Anthony of Padua Parish, also awarded the Purple Heart. PFC Norman Black, U.S. Army, was an infantryman, a bazooka man. He was with Company B, 307th Infantry Regiment, 77th ID. He was killed in action 21 May 45 on Okinawa, buried in Punchbowl Cemetery, and he lived at 647 Frost Avenue in Rochester before the war. He was awarded the Bronze Star and a Purple Heart. Fireman First Class Richard William Burnett, U.S. Naval Reserve, was only 18 years old. He was a motor machinist mate striker. He was a member of the ship's company of USS LCS L-15. That's a landing craft support large. That's LCSL. And um, uh, he was... um, uh, off Okinawa, uh, it was uh, part of uh, um, a group that got sunk. Uh, with, it was a 250-ton LCSL, which was a gunboat supporting the amphibious assault on the island. He was buried at sea. His name is listed on the Honolulu ABMC tablets, the Battle Monuments Commission. Before the war, he lived with his parents at 693 Park Avenue. Corporal Daryl Dean Campbell, U.S. Marine Corps Reserve. We've heard about him before. Yes. He was a Marine Raider. This guy is a stud. He was with Company K, 3rd Battalion, 4th Marine Regiment, 6th Marine Division. That's the guys who have the Micronesia patch. Uh, he was a rifleman and a squad leader. He was killed in action on the 20th of June, 45, and is buried in Punchbowl Cemetery. His mother lived at 3 Burlington Avenue, Rochester. He was previously wounded by shrapnel while fighting on Guam in July of 44 as a member of Company B, 3rd Raider Battalion, and was posthumously awarded the Silver Star for leading an assault up a treacherous ridge on Okinawa, Okinawa a braving Japanese sniper fire. Uh, a real hero, one of the best. And finally, pharmacist mate, 3rd Class USNR, Leon Clifford Classgens, 20 years old. He was with 1st Medical Battalion, 1st Marine Division, Killed in action 14 June 45, Okinawa. Buried Holy Sepulchre Cemetery. Before the war, he lived with his parents at 53 Briar Cliff Road, Aronaquite. He was a graduate of Aronaquite High School, class of 43, 
in St. Thomas Apostle Parish. He was awarded posthumously the Purple Heart. Uh, unbelievable. I'm I'm dumbfounded at the number of people from this community that died in that battle. Yeah, and it is, seems disproportional almost, Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it does. Just, um, it might just be because of the units that were there were, you know, formerly National Guard units and were from New York. Right. So a lot of them, yeah. I think that's probably why there was you, a concentration. See, as time goes on, you'll see a lot of the, the guys who were, came in in 40, right. 41 from the National Guard. Yeah, they did. So, they, 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 they got, we went from the 27th division to the, you know, whatever division and it, and all of a sudden they ended up in the Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I know you guys are both, uh, movie. Yeah. Guys, yeah, and mm-hmm. I stumped Bob on two questions. Oh, I'm sure you did. I did. And, I'm uh, sure you did. I, I, can, I plead guilty to the being uh, deficient on the military movies. Uh, so we're going to get you. We're going to get you fortified. Don't worry. One, one of my favorite musicals, uh, movies was Fiddler on the Roof. Oh yeah, and the main yeah. character on there um, was played by Topol. Topol. Chime Topol. Chime. Chaim, 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 Chaim Topol, and he just passed away not too long right. ago. Um, but it's come out that uh, uh, his family revealed that uh, between his acting gigs, um, he was doing reconnaissance missions for the Mossad. How do you like that? I love that. Cool. What a that stud. Is cool, yeah. What a stud. Well, you know who else did that? Was, he, um, he, he was a Sidney S- Pollock. Remember Sidney yeah. Pollock, the great director, Tootsie, and uh, a whole bunch of great movies. Yeah. Um, but he he was also the, the, doing a little dipping for the Mossad, I hear. Yeah. So I know uh, I went to see the show on Broadway, and did unfortunately, he couldn't make curtain call that night. Apparently, he was in it. Yeah, he was, he was a it was a drinking. I think he had a little drinking issue. Ah, uh, okay. so we had the brown you, bag flu. What do you call it? Is it the stand-in or the you know the backup uh, uh, understudy? Understudy. understudy. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that, what a great what a great musical! What a great movie they yeah. did with that! Um, and you know, just a, a you know very distinguished acting career and. He was doing something else during yeah. that same time. Isn't I mean, really? Yeah, they, yeah. They said that you know he was uh, keeping an eye on airports and uh, and, and uh, you know for you know the the Arab countries. He was he was watching their embassies. Actually, they say that him and another Mossad officer by the name of Peter Malkin, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. traveled to a European city and bugged an Arab embassy. Isn't that amazing? By drilling through the wall. They pretended that one was a dentist dentist, and one was a patient to cover the noise of the drilling. Isn't that fascinating? And they were, I know, you wonder how much of this is true and how much is not, but you could just see these guys. um, Well, they didn't wait too long after he died to to release that information. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but uh, God love it. You know, you got to just think that's great stuff. Um, well, you know what? He was spying for one of our allies, so it's, I guess it's not the same. So, do you know, he actually, in 1981, he played a villain in one of the Bond movies. Yes, he did. Um, the Spy Who Loved Me? Was that, was that uh, for one? Your Eyes Only, for years with only. Roger Moore. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so he, he got to got to do in, yeah. on film what he was doing, you know. So, it's just sort of a neat story it to hear about story. this. And uh, unbelievable number of stories that come out of Israel. Yeah. Um, about what people have done and uh, just, you know, I've read a few books in the recent years and just unbelievable. You know, they don't always succeed in their missions, in fact, uh, but they just keep trying and they stay with it. So, um, 
he did, you know, this guy, he did more than 30 films in Israel and the U.S., including The Public Eye in 1972, Galileo in 1975, and Flash Gordon, Flash Gordon in 1980. Hmm. So, you know, he was around. He was out there. He was working. Um, and... In 1967, he went. Well, the film came out Fiddler on the Roof, 1971, um, and it is an iconic film. It really yeah, is. and between '83 and 2009, he did did it on Broadway when he could wow. make the curtain call. Um, but uh, yeah, performed it more than 3,500 times. So wow. just you know, should be pretty good after a while. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. That it takes something to be able to do that. You know, every day get up and do that, and <laughs> sort of like being a chef in a restaurant and producing good food every time you put a plate up to serve someone. Um, it, it takes a special kind of person to do that. All right, Bob's giving us the high sign here, so I want to thank Steve Mamano and uh, Bob Savage. Thank you. Uh, all right, we'll thank see you, you next week. Let's keep our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, coasties, guardians, and all those serving with them in our thoughts and in our prayers. We'll see you next week on Valor Radio. Everything to everyone Up and at them bright and early I'm all business in my suit Yeah, I'm dressed up for success From my head down to my boots I don't do it for the money There's bills that I can't pay I don't do it for the glory I just do it anyway Providing for our futures my responsibility